All right. I'm, I'm excited about that. Our, our Hidden Figure series we're going to be doing in October uh, about women who God has used in some really powerful, uh, incredible ways. And, and I really want to encourage uh, all of you ladies, if you'd be a part of that project, because we all know you have a story to share. And there's other people in our church, not just other women, but other people in our church that will be encouraged by your story and what God has been doing in and through you as well. So um, next Sunday, you'll be hearing uh, more about that as well. But also just, I'd say prayerfully consider being a part of that with us. So grateful to have all of you guys here this morning. My name is Pat. I'm the lead pastor here. If we have not had the opportunity to meet yet, and I'm grateful that uh, you are spending some of your Sunday with us today. Um, Let me uh, extend a very uh, warm welcome to anybody who is joining us for the first time today. Um, We are so grateful to have you here. And if you would be willing to pull your phone out and text the word hello to 574-633-1574. We would just love to hear how we can serve you, minister to you, pray for you in any way that we can, and also just to share with you a little bit more about who we are as a church, and we'll make a donation to a local charity just for you coming and joining us here today and worshiping with us this morning. So um, go ahead and text that, follow the prompts, and uh, again, we are just so grateful for you. We promise we're not going to sell your information to anybody either, so you won't be getting any spam from anybody else either. So I, I have two things I want to share, and then we are going to get into our message this morning. Uh, the first one is that next Sunday, we are going to have a baptism service, and that means that today, right after this service, we are going to have a baptism meeting um, where we're just going to answer any questions that anybody has about baptism. All right, why do we, why do we go in the tank? Why do we dunk under the water? You know, why do, why do we have to give a, a public testimony in a way? And so if you have any questions about baptism at all, or, or maybe you've never been baptized and you feel like, all right, maybe this is the next step that God is wanting me to take, I would love for you to come and join, be a part of that conversation. We're going to feed you lunch and, and take care of you. Um, but I would love for you just to, again, it'll be about a brief, maybe 30, 45 minutes that we're just going to talk. Um, it's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to baptism service next Sunday. And so if you, if you can, I want to encourage everybody, be here for our baptism service next week. I, w- I want to just blow the roof off this place and just cheer people on as they are taking their next step in, uh, in their walk with God and following him in baptism. So it's going to be a great, great Sunday. So make sure that you are here for that. And then I also wanted to share with you uh, that if you have not uh, heard yet, last Sunday we prayed for, uh, we were praying for John Butler and for his family. And uh, unfortunately he passed away last Sunday morning uh, during second service and uh, grateful to have you know, some of the family here today. Um, we love you guys, and um, our church family has been praying and lifting you guys up. Um, and I wanted to just share with you just the arrangements for it. Um, there on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, uh, visitation is going to be at the Palmer Funeral Home at, at uh, Mishawaka, the River Park Chapel on Mishawaka Avenue, uh, and uh, visitation will be at starting at ten o'clock. Is it ten or is it eleven? Ten o'clock. Ten, that's what I thought. 10 o'clock will be visitation, and the service will be at 1 o'clock after that. And I would encourage all of you to come uh, just be a part of uh, either one of those if you can, and just show your love and support for one of our, one of our own at John's passing. Um, you know, while we, while we grieve, we know that he is also rejoicing with Jesus right now, and that is a, a beautiful thing that he is enjoying his healing right now in this moment. So, um, so I just wanted to make sure you are aware of that um, there was also an email that got sent out as well, to all that information for you as well. So um, we are going to pray over our morning tithes and offerings right now. Um, if you came prepared 
to give in person today. There are given envelopes in the seat backs in front of you as well as inside your bulletin that you can put those in the boxes at the back of the worship center on your way out today. But uh, you can give in person, online. You can set up recurring giving that way. You can uh, give through our app. There's multiple different ways that you can give and support the, the mission and vision of what we are doing here at Living Stones. I just want to thank you for continuing to your generosity allows us to, to be a light here on the south side of South Bend. And so I just want to thank all of you for that. So if you, if you would, let's pray over that, and then we are going to dive into our message this morning. So Father, we, we just love you and thank you. Lord, for being an incredible provider for us. Thank you, God, for being our Jehovah Jireh. And, and Father, that as we, as we give back willingly, as we give cheerfully, Lord, God, we know that, that you are going to use uh, this offering. You're going to use uh, the generosity of the people of Livingstone's Church to make a kingdom impact in the lives of people that live right here in our neighborhood, Lord. I, I pray that you're going to just use this offering just to advance your kingdom, that people are going to come to know you through the generosity of your people, Lord. We, we just pray for your blessing upon this offering and then over the rest of our service today. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are, this morning we are closing out our series that we have been going through talking about the good and beautiful God. And we've, we've been using a, a book by James Bryan Smith kind of as a, as a map, as a little bit of a blueprint for this. And, and what we've been doing in this series is talking about some of the, the false narratives that, that many of us believe, many of us have inherited, that we've heard about who God is. And, and we, we've talked about that, that God is angry, that God either he blesses me when I do good things and he punishes me when I do bad things. We, we talked about the, the false narrative that God can't be trusted. Last week, we, we talked about the, the false narrative that, that God doesn't, he's not really bothered, you know, that our, that our sin is not really that big a deal to him. And, and what we've been doing in this series is trying to dismantle and pick apart these false narratives that many of us have, have bought into, many of us have heard and believed, and try to re, re, reprogram in a way, replacing them with the narratives of Jesus. What does Jesus have to say about God? And, and ultimately, we, we ought to be listening to what Jesus has to say about God than what, you know, our, our Aunt Matilda or, you know, what some pastor or, or you know, what the media is, is telling us. But what does Jesus actually have to say about who God is? And, and I'm extremely grateful for the response we've had in this series, the conversations that we have had as well, um, just in response to this content. I feel like... Um, we, it's, kind of, it's kind of hit a nerve with, with some people and, and really gen generating some good conversations. And what I'm really praying for is that through going through this, whether you've read the book along with it or just being a part of, of our uh, services on Sunday, that it's leading you into a, a deeper walk with God and a more clear understanding of who He is. And uh, it really has been a, a great time. Now, this morning, what we're going to be talking about is actually not a false narrative that we have about God but it's actually a false narrative we have about ourselves. And we're going to come to that in just a moment here. But I want to kind of begin this morning. I want to share with you one of my favorite stories that my dad has told me. And my, my dad, he's now retired, but he worked for Johnson Controls. He was an electrical engineer and worked for Johnson Controls literally from the day he graduated from college up until he retired. And, and one of the things that he would do is my dad would often travel around different parts of the country and he would work on different projects, the, the uh, controls for the heating and cooling, things like that. And, and a couple years ago, before he retired, my dad went out and he was working at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. And, and, and you know, he, 
he never thought that he would ever be holding a top secret security clearance, which he thought was, you know, pretty cool. Um, but while he was working at the Pentagon, one of the things that he had is he essentially had a chaperone everywhere he went. He had to be escorted wherever he was working. You know, they wanted to make sure that my dad wasn't <laughs> putting his nose where it didn't belong, um, so to speak. And, and so th this project at the Pentagon actually took a number of months that, that they were working on it. I mean, the Pentagon is, I think it's is it the largest office building in, in the world, something like that. And so he was, he was working on this project for a number of months. And Johnson Controls rented an apartment for him while he was working in Washington, D.C., that he could stay at while he was out there. Well, there was one evening that he was in his apartment. It was, he was asleep. It was like 3 in the morning. All of a sudden, he hears this loud banging at the door. FBI! And they kick the door in and come running in, guns drawn and, and everything. I mean, scared my dad to death. And they start shouting and hollering for a man. I don't remember the name my dad told me, so I'm just making one up. For, for Dev, Devin Miller. Devin Miller, where's Devin Miller at? And, and they're like tearing apart the apartment trying to find this guy named Devin Miller. And, and after, like I said, being scared half to death, being interrogated by the FBI, um, my dad was able to convince them that he was not Devin Miller and that Devin Miller was not living at that apartment. And, you know, they, they apologized. They sheepishly walked out and, you know, they, you know, paid and had it fixed. But but the crazy thing about this mistaken, identif mistaken identity is the, the good news was the only harm that was done was a busted door and my dad almost having a heart attack in the middle of the night. But other than that, it, like, it, wasn't, it wasn't so bad. But, but identity is really something that we're hearing an awful lot about today. You know, and we're not going you know, to get into you know, gender identity and, and sexual identity issues this morning. But the idea, the concept is actually extremely relevant because our identity is the way that we see ourselves. It's the way that we view ourselves. And, and the way that we identify ourselves has a huge impact on the way that we live. The way we identify ourselves has a, has a huge impact on, on the way we live our lives and the choices that we make. And, and so we'd better get it right when it comes to how we view ourselves, the way that we identify ourselves. And, and so to kind of, because the last thing we would want to do is have a case of mistaken identity, where, where we actually believe we're something different than who God says that we are. And, and so this morning, the false narrative that we're going to be talking about this morning is that I am a sinner, that I am a sinner. Now, now how many of us have either said or, or we've heard people say the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Like, I've said that countless times about myself. And the reality is, though, it's actually incorrect theology. And it's not who Jesus says we are. Now, the trouble with this narrative, the trouble with this idea that I am a sinner is that it makes sense. It makes logical sense to us. Because the truth is, once we've given our lives to Jesus, once, you know, Jesus has forgiven us after we've come into relationship with him, we've made him... Lord of our lives, as much as we wish it was not the case, we still continue to sin even after we have that salvation experience. We still do things that we know we shouldn't do. We still, we still participate in sin. We still uh, have temptations that come against each, each one of us. Now, uh, when we've given our lives to Christ, we've not achieved perfection. I mean, far, far from it. I, I remember when I, when I first became a believer... 
I was actually really disappointed because I had this idea in my head. I had this thought that, all right, once I give my life to Christ, all of those issues and all of those sins and all of those temptations that I used to deal with, I wasn't going to be having to deal with them, at least maybe not as much as I was before. But unfortunately, that's actually not the case. That, that the, and, and the Apostle Paul actually talks about this fact, and he pulls it apart in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. And this is going to be kind of the verse I want us to kind of keep referring to throughout the morning here. And, and Paul writes uh, to the church in Galatia. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not, so, excuse me, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And w- what Paul says here is he said, he, he's using this uh, almost war metaphor in a way. That there's, there's a war, there's a battle, there's a conflict going on inside each one of us between the things that, are, that our flesh desires and the things that the Spirit desires in our lives. And, and there's this tension, there's this constant battle that goes on between the two. Paul never once says that, you know, once you've been made alive with, with Christ, that you're never going to sin again. You're not going to deal with temptation anymore. That G- Jesus never utters that. He never says anything. Or it's, it, Jesus doesn't say that, nor does Paul say that as well. Like, and again, I, like, I wish that was the case. I, I, I wish it was the case that, that once we gave our lives to Christ, those things that we struggled with before were no longer struggles for us. But the reality is there is a battle that's being waged, and we have choices to make in this battle. Like Paul acknowledges that this conflict exists, and he encourages us to live a life that honors God. But because we still sin, because we still do things that we know we should not do, it's tempting to view ourselves as sinners. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. The trouble with, with, with that mentality, the trouble of, of finding our identity in that way, of viewing ourselves as a sinner is twofold. The first one is that if I see myself as, as a sinner, if I view myself in that way, yet I want to live a, a godly, God-honoring life, it's a recipe for frustration and disappointment. Like, if I know I'm a sinner, yet I want to live this kind of life, and I'm not living that life that I want to live, then there's this, there's this frustration, there's this tension that we end up facing and end up dealing with. It's kind of like if you remember watching the, the movie Finding Nemo, and the great, the great white shark in Finding Nemo, Bruce, you know, like, he, he has, this, he has this, this reckoning where he doesn't want to be this mindless fish eater anymore, that he, he fish are friends, not food, is what he would continually say and, and in, in the end, like, he can't resist. Like, it's in his nature to, to eat the fish, and, and it creates this tension for him. And, and in a lot of ways, it's that same thing with us, that when we view ourselves as a sinner, when we view ourselves through the lens of, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, well, then how can we possibly expect ourselves to live a life that is God-honoring, that, that, that honors him? And the second problem with viewing ourselves in this way is it's not the way that Jesus sees us. It's not the way that we are ever referred to in Scripture. The, 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 the Jesus' narrative about who we are is not that we are sinners, but Jesus' narrative is that 
I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Now, now that label might feel somewhat uncomfortable to, to many of us in the room because, like, when we have this, uh, when, when we think of a saint, we have the, these images, these ideas that come to our head. You know, we think about somebody like Mother Teresa or St. Peter or St. Paul or St. Francis of Assisi or St. Thomas Aquinas. Like, we, we have these ideas of, of what a saint is, and we don't quite measure up to that. A lot, in a lot of ways, this has been impacted by, by the Catholic Church in a lot of ways, that, that in our mind we have the, this idea that a saint is somebody who's exceptionally holy, who, who has done, who's performed a miracle. In short, it, it, a saint is somebody who's way better than either you or I. Like, there's, 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 there's only a, a small list of who the saints really are. But all those things are actually man-made constructs. That's not what Scripture teaches. The, the verbiage that, that is used in the early church, the verbiage that is used in Scripture for those who are part of the faith, for those who have committed and given their lives to Jesus, is a saint. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes this. He says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call, on the, on, uh, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, both the Lord and ours. Like, what Paul is saying here in this greeting, he's talking about you and I, talking about all the saints, all the people who have put their faith in, in Jesus Christ, that we are called saints. He, he, sa- he gives a very similar greeting in the book of Romans. And, and in fact, Paul uses the, this verbiage, this idea that we are saints over and over again. And in the New Testament, the word saint is used over 60 times to describe somebody who is in Christ to describe somebody who has given and committed their life to Jesus. And so while we might not be comfortable with the idea of giving ourselves the label of being a saint, that's what Scripture says about who we are. That's Jesus' narrative about who we are. If we have committed our lives, if we've given our lives to Christ, we are no longer sinners, but we are now considered saints. Now, we're going we're gonna to do a little exercise right here. Now, first service did really well with this, so don't let first service over, overshadow you. But if you are a part of the family of God, if you have given your life to Christ, I want you to verbally, out loud, let your ears, ears hear it, say, I am a saint. All right, can we do that? Ready? I am a saint. I'm a saint. And even though I might not feel like it sometimes, that's who God says I am. Now, being a saint does not mean that, that I no longer deal with sin or that I'm living a perfect life. Like Paul, who, who is addressing you, he's addressing all of us as saints. He was the one that just said in Galatians 5 that there's this conflict. There's this battle between the, the flesh and the spirit. There's this war that's being waged inside of us. And so Paul recognizes, yeah, you know what? You are a saint, but there's still a battle there's still that conflict that, that takes place between fulfilling the desires of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the Spirit. Being a saint does not mean that we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face temptation any longer. But being a saint, is, it's, it's so important for us to view our identity through that lens, through the idea of who God says I am, not who I feel I am. I'm not a sinner. I am a saint. The, the Apostle Paul, in, in his epistles, he uses the term in Christ or in the Lord over 164 times. 
in, in his epistles. And, and when, we, when, it, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're not just a, a sinner who's saved by grace. Scripture actually teaches us that we are a brand new creation. We're a brand new creation. In, in, in the book, Dr. Smith gives the example of a caterpillar that has been transformed into a butterfly. That, that the caterpillar goes inside its chrysalis, which actually shares the same root word as the word Christ, and it comes out as a completely different creation, a completely different creature. That the butterfly is now a different creation than what the, the, the caterpillar was, and it can't go back to being a caterpillar no matter how hard it would try. It has a completely different nature now than it had before, before it had been transformed. And that's how we are when we've been made new in Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Paul, Paul says, when you have given your life, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You aren't the same person you were before. In some ways, you are like that butterfly. You were that caterpillar before. You went into that chrysalis in a way, and you have emerged as a butterfly. The old has gone. Our faith in God, our faith in Christ has made us new. And there are so many examples of what the scriptures talk about, about what it means for us to be a new creation, what it means for us to be alive in Christ, that, that, that we have been made, uh, that, we were, uh, that we were once dead, but we have now been made alive with Christ, that, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are now because of what God has done in our lives. And over and over again, we're told that we have been transformed, that we have been made new. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Paul's saying the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, whom you received from God. What, what Paul's saying is the Holy Spirit's not off there somewhere far away. No, the Holy Spirit dwells, lives, resides right here inside of you, you are a new being. Romans 8.10 says, but if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now I want you to leave that, that verse up on the screen because I, I think what Paul is addressing right here in Romans 8.10 is really, th this is kind of where the rub is. Th this is where that tension comes into being. He, he really explains what's going on in that conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. Because Paul, he, he says that, that even though our, our bodies have been subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That when we've given our, our lives to Christ, when we've put our faith in Him, the Spirit has given us new life. And yet, we still live, we still reside in this fleshly body that is subject to death. That's where the battle is. That's where the war, that's where the conflict comes from. That our spirit has been made alive, but our body, the housing unit we live in, has not been regenerated yet. Our body has not been transformed yet. And that's where the tension, that's where that conflict between flesh and spirit comes in. To, to quote John Wesley, he said that, that after we've given our lives to Christ, sin remains though it does not reign in our lives. Sin, sin will still remain in us, that we will still sin, but it does not reign in, in our lives. It does not have the power that it had before. And, and so what do we do? 
How, how do we negotiate this, this battle? That, that even though our spirit has been transformed, but we still have these sinful desires and these sinful temptations. We're still living in this body. How do, how do we walk through and navigate this conflict between the two? If we go back to the passage in Galatians 5 where, where Paul said, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we walk by the Spirit, we're not going to fulfill the desires of our flesh. The New Living Translation says it like this, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And what this comes down to is our connectedness with Jesus. Our connectedness with, with Jesus. When, when we're disconnected from Jesus, when we're disconnected from Him, we're not in a position to hear the Holy Spirit and allow Him to lead our lives. But when we are connected with Him, when we are, when we are close with Jesus, that's when, that's when the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to us. That's when our ears are open to hear His nudges and His urgings. That's when we can sense His presence in our life is when we are more connected, when we are drawn closer to Jesus. We're more able to, to discern His direction and leading. And so the, the next point I want to share with you is that we are transformed by abiding with Christ. By abiding with Christ. Now, does anybody remember the Coen Brothers movie, The Big Lebowski? Like, I saw this movie way too many times when I was in college. But the, the dude's last line in the movie is, the dude abides. And, and, and that word abide, it means to, to remain, to reside in, to live on. That we are to abide in Christ. And, and Jesus, he taught this concept in John chapter 15 when he paints this, this beautiful word picture about what our relationship with, with God, what our relationship with Jesus looks like. In John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's saying, all right, you are a saint. You've already been made clean by the word I've spoken to you. You have been made right. He said, but here's what I want you to do. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What Jesus says is, if, if, we, want to, if we want to stay, if we want to bear fruit, if we want to live a godly life, if we want to win out on that tension between the, the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit, it depends on our connectedness with Jesus. How connected are we with Him? Our, our, because apart from Him, He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. On, on our own, it's impossible for us to live a, a holy, God-honoring life. But when we abide in Him, when we remain in Him, when we rest in Him, when we live in Him, 
That's when we're going to bear fruit. That's when we're going to start winning the battle, that tension that we see between the flesh and the spirit. And it's not a battle that we're ever going to fully master. On this side of eternity, we will never achieve perfection. As long as we live in this body of flesh, we will sin. We will sin. But thank God that Jesus died for all of our sins for all time. Like, I'm so grateful that God, God doesn't deal with us any longer. If, we've given, if we are in Christ, God doesn't deal with us any longer on the basis of our sin. He deals with us on the basis of our righteousness in His Son, Jesus. That's how He interacts with us, not through our sin any longer. And, and as that, I mean, and, and you think about it, like, that is what's so amazing about grace. And as, I, as I've prayed through and I've thought through and I've tried to work through like this, this material, this concept, I think one of the things that I think is such an, an overlooked part of this is the idea that God has given each one of us free will. He's given each, each one of us free will. The power to either accept Him or to reject Him. The, the power to respond in love or to walk away in rebellion. But free will, it's a gift of love. Free will is a gift of love because love that is forced is not really love. It's, it's coercion. It's manipulation. But when we've been given the freedom to choose, when we've been given the, the free will in order to, to, to decide whether we're going to follow after Jesus or not, that's, that's what, true, that, that's, that's what um, demonstrates, shows what true love is. Like I don't know if you, if you remember like back in middle school, and you had, you had a crush on somebody, and you, like, you, you'd pass a note that said, hey, I really like you, do you like me? And you'd write yes or no, and like, hopefully she would, she would circle it, you know, and hopefully she'd circle yes. Like, and you remember like the, the angst that you had? You know, of like, hey, well, what, what, what if my affection isn't going to be responded to in, in this moment? Like, like our kids these days, they, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't remember, they don't know what that's like. But like to slide a note to some pretty girl and you're hoping, oh, I hope she says yes. I, I mean, in some ways, that's, that's what God is doing. A, a very similar scenario, that, that he is extending his hand to you. He's extending his love to you. And, and, and I don't want to say God is hoping, but like God's desire is that we're going to respond and circle yes. Like the, 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 the same scenario is, is, is being done on a much larger scale and with much greater consequence, that he gives us the opportunity to return his love. He doesn't force us to. We have, we have the choice, we have the option about whether we're going to sin or whether we're going to not. We have the choice, we have the option about whether we're going to follow after him or whether we are not. And, and I want to share with you, it's probably my, my favorite portion of James Bryan Smith's book. And and it, he, he uses a, a, an example, he, a, a picture between country dogs and city dogs. And, and this, this just opened my eyes so much as, as I read this. And I thought, no, this is, this is exactly it. This is what I've been thinking about, what I've been wondering about. And he says, do you know the difference between country dogs and city dogs? This is a wonderful illustration about our new identity in Christ and how we go about living the Christian life. Country dogs live in wide open spaces with a great deal of freedom to roam. They go down to the creek, wrestle with a skunk, sleep in a sunny pasture, or forage for food. And at first they do. But after a while, the country dog stays in the same old place day after day on the master's porch. 
The country dog has been to Paris, as they say. He's gotten into a few scrapes and has seen the open range for what it is. But now the country dog is content to stay near the master. After all, he may get a biscuit or a pat on the head or a belly rub. But the city dog is quite different. The city dog lives cooped up in the house and is forbidden to leave the home. The city dog has one aim, getting out. The city dog has learned when and how the doors will be open and how to nudge it just so in hopes of escape. The moment the door is cracked open, the city dog makes a run for it. The master may have to run after the dog or even get in the car and search the neighborhood for the fugitive, constantly yelling the dog's name, begging it to come home. If the master sees the dog, he, will, he or she will likely have to bribe the dog with a biscuit or lasso the dog with a leash in order to get it home. Now, those who approach, who approach the Christian life with a set of rules and laws and do's and don'ts are like the city dog. My experience is that many Christians feel cramped and confined and would love to escape their rule, these rules. I know that I did. Those who understand their identity in Christ are like the country dog. They know that they are not under the law, and they know that they can sin, but having sinned before, they know better. They are more content living close to the Master. And I think it's, I think it's such a beautiful, a beautiful picture there because God has given us all such tremendous freedom. That, that, that is, as we, those of us who are in the family of God, those that are, have given our lives to Christ, we have the ability to sin. And we know God is still going to love us regardless. That we spent the last couple weeks talking about that same exact fact. That God is not going to stop loving us because of some sin we commit. So we have the option. We have the ability to do so. We can willfully do it. But as followers of Christ... We can choose not to. We can choose the path of holiness and stay close to the master. That's what true love looks like. Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. All right, we, we have tremendous freedom that we have. And I, I, can do what, I can do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. He's describing the freedom that we have in Christ, that, that, that we don't want to use or abuse that freedom, that I'm not going to allow anything to have mastery over me. I'm not going to use my freedom to advance my own cause or, or to promote myself. I'm not going to use my freedom to indulge my flesh, but to use my freedom for the benefit of others. Like, yeah, I, I have the freedom to, to swear and cuss, but I'm, I'm going to try not to do those things. I have the freedom to watch this, to do that, to go there. But I'm going to choose not to because I want to be close to the Master. The closer I draw to Jesus, the more I try to abide in Him. Even those things that I have the ability to do start to lose their appeal. And I choose not to do them because I want Jesus more. I know that I can sin. I know that God will still love me even if I do. But I don't want to. I want to live a life that's different. And, and so I want to close with one final thought this morning about God transforming us. And it's the fact that this thing is a process. It, it's, it's a process. It's a journey. And the journey that we're on, it's not a sprint, but it's, it's a marathon. It's something that we're going to be at for a long time. The spiritual transformation that we want to see in our lives does not take place overnight. It takes years, and, and as long as we walk on this earth, our journey towards 
Christlikeness will not end. In the, in the book, Dr. Smith shares a story by A.H. Strong. And, and Dr. Strong, he says this, he says, a student asked the president of his school whether he could take a shorter course than the one prescribed. Oh, yes, replied the president, but then it depends on what you want to be. When God wants to build an oak, he takes 100 years. But when God wants to build a squash, he takes six months. And the point being is that this is a long process. There, there are seasons where we see tremendous growth, and there's times where we see very little change. And, and Strong goes on to say that, that in, in the life of an oak tree, it only has a couple months of actual growth each year in terms of like measurable expansion. But the rest of the year, the other 10 months out of the year, is actually spent solidifying the growth that has taken place. And we have, we have to see ourselves with, with clear eyes, you know, and, and when, we, when we place our, our faith in Jesus, like we are made alive, we're made new in an instant. But our ongoing journey of becoming more like Jesus takes a lifetime. We're saved in an instant. But our sanctification will take the rest of our lives. The process of, of spiritual formation is not a fast one. And so on, on the one hand, like we need to be encouraged, like keep pursuing, keep drawing closer to him, keep abiding with Christ, but also being able to give ourselves a little bit of latitude also to, to recognize that this is a journey, that we're all at different places in, in our walk with, with God, and where you are is different than where I am, and what your next step with Jesus is going to be different than what my next step with Jesus is, and that's okay. That, that's, that's all right. What I'm concerned about is, are we taking the next step? Even though each of our next steps are going to look differently, each of our next steps are going to be different, are we taking the next step? Are we, are we taking one more step closer to Him? That's the journey of spiritual transformation. And so I want to I close this morning with one final soul training exercise. If you've been with us over these weeks, we, we've been sharing a different kind of discipline or soul training exercise that we have that we can put into practice to help us kind of walk closer with, with God. And this week, I want to challenge everybody to find some solitude. Solitude. Now, now this can be a difficult one, especially for those of us that are extroverts, that get energy and love being around other people and get energy off those interactions. But, but solitude is an act, an intentional act of spending time away from people. Because let's, let's just be real, let's just be honest here, that when we are around others, there's a, there's a temptation, whether intentional or not, to try to impress other people who are around us, to try to make ourselves look better than we actually are, to not fully share all the ugly that's going on in our lives. And when, when we intentionally pursue solitude for a period of time, there's no one to impress. There's no one whose opinion we're trying to influence, and there's no, uh, there's no image that we feel like we have to live up to. When, when, we, when we have solitude with God, it's a chance for us to take the mask off and just to be real with the one who knows everything about us already. And this can look differently for each one of us, but being able to find times and find ways to be completely alone with God, it, it's, it's a huge thing. And so I, what I want to challenge everybody with is find some time for solitude where you can just be real. Be real with God 
and be your real self, warts and all. And, and I would encourage you, like, during this time of solitude, to actually start reading, start researching. Who does Jesus say I am? What is my identity in Christ? That we don't want to have a, a, a case of mistaken identity. But who does God really say that I am? Who does Jesus say that I am? Not who I feel like I am, but who does God actually say that I am? And so if you would, would you stand for me right now? I, I want to pray over our church family, and then we're going to worship one more time together. So, Father, we, we just love you so very much, and God, we are so grateful, God, for your amazing grace, that, God, you have given us freedom, that, that even after we've come to you, even after we've, we've given our lives to you and, we, and we've, uh, we, we've accepted your free gift of salvation, even after we've been made alive with Christ, Lord, that you've still given us freedom, Lord, that we have, we have the choice, we have the opportunity to sin, and Lord, we know that you're still going to love us anyways. But God, as a, as a family, as, as individuals, as a church, Lord, we, we, we don't want to go the easy route. We don't want to go with just what's easy, what's convenient. But God, we want to pursue you. We want, we want to abide in you and rest in you. We want to remain in you, allowing your Holy Spirit to be the one to lead and guide our lives, Lord, because the word says that, the, that when the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading us, that we're not going to fulfill the lusts and desires of the flesh, that we're going to start to win that battle over the, the sins and the temptations and the things that we've struggled with in our lives. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning, those who have been feeling discouraged in the room, those who, who, who feel like, I, I don't know that this Christian walk, this, this thing is actually working out because I'm trying to follow after you and I, and I feel like I just keep messing up. God, I pray that you would just encourage those today, recognizing that we are on a journey together. We're on a journey walking towards you. And God, whatever, whatever our next step is, and, and maybe, maybe it's to be a, a, an all-inner here at, at Living Stones. Maybe it's to participate in a group. Maybe it's to, to follow you in baptism. Maybe it's to, to give. Maybe, maybe it's to, to start sharing our faith. Or whatever our next step is with you, God, that we would be faithful to walk in that. And even those times where we get discouraged and we get down, God, that we would recognize that that's what grace is all about. Grace isn't there for us to take advantage of. Grace is there to catch us when we've messed up. And God, we're so thankful for it. Lord, I pray that you would just bless my friends here today. God, that we would see ourselves the way you see us, Lord, as saints, not as sinners, not just sinners saved by grace, Lord, that, you, that we would see ourselves the way you see us as a new creation. The old things are gone and the new has come. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.